0: This is a TADAD Podcast.
1: Welcome to the TADAD Podcast. My name is Vanessa Santana from the Fiscal Affairs Department at the International Monetary Fund. Of the 90 performance outcoming areas, or POAs for short, that shape the TADAD methodology POA 2, Effective Risk Management, assesses whether a tax administration's risk to revenue and its operations are identified and managed effectively. After all, tax administrations face numerous risks that has the potential to adversely affect tax administration operations and consequently revenue mobilization. In summary, POA 2 classifies tax administration risk into compliance risks and institutional risks. In today's episode, two guests join us to discuss the human capital aspect of institutional risks. We'll discuss compliance risk in another episode this season. Under POA 2, tax administrations are evaluated to see whether they have an approach that identifies assesses, prioritizes, and mitigates institutional risks. But what do we mean by and what are the institutional risk components in the TADAT contest? Joining us today from the TADAT Secretariat is Senior Economist Mr. Maimbo Nianga. Prior to joining the IMF, he worked in the Zambia Revenue Authority for over 14 years he was Director for Research, Planning and Taxpayer Services. Before that, he was Executive Assistant to the Commissioner-General. He participated in several tax policy review processes and preparation of the national budget over the years, Earlier on, he worked in the budget office of the Zambia Ministry of Finance in the area of tax and expenditure policies and later in the doctorate of macroeconomic policy analysis in the same ministry. He has a master's degree in international and development economics and a bachelor's degree in economics. Mambo, welcome to the podcast. We are happy to have you here.
0: Thank you for having me. Greetings to our listeners!
1: So, Memble, the Tadan Field Guide was updated in 2019. Lessons from 4 years implementing the 2015 Field Guide informed the revision. Could you walk us through the process behind the updates and expand upon why, especially for POA2, updates were made in the risk management area?
0: Just to take you through the process of the revisions that were done to the 2015 field guide to come up with the 2019 Tadat that field guide, I think like in process, in undertaking, there are always new changes that are coming in. In fact, even the time you are undertaking those changes or you are implementing some reforms, there is something which is coming on the market. There are new emerging issues. We've envisaged that we'll have such a situation as we started undertaking implementing the 2015 field guide, through, tech, through the assessments we are having, the technical assistance missions that have been carried out by different capacity development providers, we started recording lessons or things that needed to be changed. Overall, the changes that we embarked on first involved tightening the language. There were certain areas, for example, where the Tadata assessors would have different interpretations. There are areas where we had to tighten the language and maybe bring in more clarity. We have different cultures in terms of you have the anglophone, the lusophone, the francophone. So the interpretation sometimes gets lost depending on the best you have. So that's why we needed to tighten the language. The other area where the emerging issues that came out as we were undertaking these missions one of the big questions we got when we are implementing the TADAT assessment was, the main input for a tax administration is human resource, human capital. Why don't we have an assessment on the main input of any tax administration? Remove human capital, nothing way. That was the major issue that came in when we started implementing the TADAT within the first years. The changes focused on bringing in something that was going to measure the performance or the use of human capital. Then there were other areas that were emerging. For example, in terms of time and payment and so on, we realized that we were only measuring the impact of the tax returns that are filed on time. But we didn't have any measurement on how do you treat those that are filed beyond the due date. Some of the changes we had to bring in was a measurement of what are the good practices in terms of treating those taxpayers that far late. Then the other area of focus was something to do with audits, investigations. We used inputs as a props. For example, we're looking at the type of audits you're undertaking. Of course, we also looked at what the impact of the audit had, but we did realize that we needed to start measuring the efficiency of the audits, that the authorities are taking, and also how effective those audits were. In a nutshell, those are the main changes that came through the field guide. Like I've said, one, we're tightening the language. Two, human capital became a very big emerging issue. Then we also looked at uh, the issue of audits, how efficient uh, were those audits that were being undertaken, how effective, and also just a few other micro uh, changes but overall, I can safely say that uh, the 2015 field guide was almost 98, percent tight. But we had to bring in these new emerging issues. That's where we are as of now. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Could you help us understand what institutional risk refers to under the TADAD framework and what it covers?
0: Maybe I can go back to where we were in 2015. So in 2015, we were just looking at compliance risk, the risk that tends to the business of managing the taxpayers, managing the tax type. Of course, we're also looking at a small component of what we call the institutional risk, the risk that pertains to running the business itself. Institutional risk in our context is divided into operational risk and human capital. The operational risk component, this is where we are looking at the issues of running the business of administering taxes. For example, we still have countries that will have manual systems. So they have taxpayers' files. How do you manage those taxpayers' files? How do we ensure that those files are not stolen? How do we ensure that those records are not bent? We have human capital. We have our people working in the buildings. They can be, for example, an issue of uh, building on fire. How do you manage that process of ensuring that there's protection to the buildings? Largely, our business now is managed through information technology. We are also looking at how are you managing that the risk that might arise, for example, from system failure. How do you back up your data? How do you ensure your systems are up and running? Those are the issues we are looking at under operational risk yes we have the it systems and so with these it systems there's also the issue of cyber security a lot of people heard how for a while i think a month or two ago the u.s had challenges with distribution of fuel because the systems had been hacked or something like that so the issues of cyber security are really becoming prominent it's some of the risk we are looking at in terms of the need to manage those That's the component of what we call operational risk. And uh, 2020 taught the world a lesson with the COVID. Many of the tax administrations realized that they were not ready. Yes, they knew about these risks, but they had not taken them into account. They had not prepared for such eventualities. Yes, we've had lessons, for example, in Liberia, Sierra Leone, they had uh, an Ebola pandemic. There was a time when the country had got closed. But those lessons, I think, were not replicated across the world. When the world got closed, that's when we started realizing the importance of having risks taken into account. The COVID pandemic is a good example of uh, operational risks that need to be taken into account. The issue of uh, your staff can work anywhere. The issues of health issues, social distancing in the offices. Now people have had to redesign offices these things sometimes they would look theoretical but when certain events happen you start realizing the importance of having some of these things then the other component is what where we are looking at human capital we are looking at the whole process of managing human capital we have what we call the five c's for example we are looking at issues of capacity coordination and so on when you recruit staff how do you ensure that, for example, they remain up to date? You know, there are always these new changes, issues of how to manage the training of staff, basically building capacity in staff. And also if something happened, for example, we also tend to have in tax administration situations where at a goal you recruit maybe 100 people and they'll be almost like the same age at entry-level grades. And they tend to retire at the same time. So if you have not planned for replacement of staff, it becomes a big issue. We've seen it across the world where we are providing capacity development in these areas that you find that they have to start giving contracts to staff and so on. Then you also have issues of, for example, highly skilled staff, the IT staff, maybe people who are good in transfer pricing audits. So you are competing with the rest of the market. How do you ensure that you attract and retain those staff? Those are some of the issues human capital is looking at. Broadly, when we talk of institutional risk, we are looking at operational risk. How do you manage the day-to-day learning of the business, the IT systems, protection of the buildings against fire, protection of institutions against maybe fraud and so on in the IT system? Then also the issues of human capital. How are you managing the human capital you have recruited or how do you attract those resources?
1: Mambo, thank you very much for your insights. Thank you. The management of a human talent is a critical task in a tax administration, and indeed in any organization. After all, a tax administration results are linked to the performance of its human capital, including how they use the facilitating resources placed in their hands. Of course, the mix of human and non-human capital resources and not forgetting political economy and operating environment issues contribute to the achievement of results. And while there is no single right way to identify and assess risk, methodologies and good practice approaches are outlined in management literature and guidelines promoted by various bodies. Our next guest, Mervy Hickok, will share with us a unique approach, internal management as a business decision. Mervy is the founder of AI at Organization and Lighthouse Career Consulting. She has over 15 years of vice-president-level global experience in Fortune 100 companies. As the senior HR professional and career coach certified by the Neuro Leadership Institute, she was the country HR manager for Bank of America Merrill Lynch in Turkey and then transferred to the United Kingdom to lead the company's international recruitment and technology projects for more than 20 countries across Europe, Middle East and Africa. She is also an independent consultant, trainer, lecturer, and social researcher on artificial intelligence and data ethics. Recently, she was recognized as one of a 100 brilliant women in artificial intelligence ethics. Marv, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you very much for the opportunity to have this conversation today. I'm very excited and very excited to see the human capital risk included in this assessment as well. So, what do we mean when we say making
1: human resources your business partner?
2: I want to follow up on what Mambo said on remove human capital and nothing works. And that is actually sits in the core of what I do and what I wanted to talk about and how HR as a business partner, not only as a transactional department, can contribute towards that statement. When I think of HR as a business partner, it is how you can bring senior strategic and value-add position to the organization, how can you move the organization's values and culture and mission forward with its human capital, understanding the long-term goals, the principles, and aligning those with, with all the transactional work that HR is responsible for and how does that translate into the practices. Another piece around this is very much relevant to the tax authorities that we talk about around the world. You are all of us in corporate world as well as the tax authorities, we are all subject to regulatory landscape and how does HR keep on top of this, understand the implications, the consequences of changing regulations to the HR functions and organization as a wider entity? How does it manage the HR risk? and governance within the organization. My mom also mentioned technology. We didn't have that much technology beforehand that we had to worry about cybersecurity and resiliency, etc. But now we do, and on a constant basis, we're bringing in new technologies, not only to the organization, but to the HR side as well, to manage that human capital, Sometimes not necessarily understanding what the implications of HR technologies mean for the organization either. So we're collecting a lot of data. We are impacting the organization's human capital through these technologies. So HR as a business partner also comes in to understand the emerging trends, the impact on the organization, analyze data and help strengthen the organization's resiliency and sustainability. Overall, looking at this as not HR as one department or human capital management as one department within the organization, but how it actually impacts the whole picture, whether it's a government entity or whether it's a private entity, it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we're talking about human capital, human interaction and how those translate into actions and results. So how can we use HR as a business partner to foresee, shape, and govern the changes in new markets or responses to emergencies and disasters, restructuring efforts? How can we use HR as a business partner to improve the experience of the human capital within the organization? And how does that translate into the culture and overall output of the organization and its success in general? Thank you.
1: So, how
2: can an organization, in this case, a tax
1: administration, begin to leverage human resources or, better still, human capital as a business partner?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Like I said, for me, it really doesn't matter if you're talking about a private entity or, in this case, a tax administration. Risk in human capital can have multiple facets, right? So, it might be arising from workplace culture, workplace environments, in some cases, the toxicity or like the embedded values or embedded practices in that culture. It might arise from changes in regulations. But like I said, technology used by HR is another facet. It might arise in succession planning, if you are dependent on a few people and in your organization to ensure that the sustainability of the organization, or it might arise with things like unexpected events like COVID or labor shortages. Again, Maimo mentioned that it doesn't tax authority or any organization doesn't sit in vacuum. We have labor shortages or changing labor market demographics. So how do we manage that risk in the first instance? And how do we manage that and govern that? Within the field, I came across human capital risk elements as capability, capacity, compliance, cost, and connection. I think for me, when we talk about how do we leverage human resources for better management, I would like to quote Peter Drucker here. He has a famous saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's really important when we look at the overall human capital and the culture within the organization. I would probably say one doesn't happen without the other culture strategy. There's a power trio that is applicable to any organization for organizational success, culture, strategy and capabilities. And I think that ties into the five risk elements that you mentioned previously for human capital risk management. How does HR as human capital management partners within the organization understand the strategy capabilities and the culture you know you might have the best IT infrastructure and processes and written policies in the world but if the human capital doesn't understand the long-term objectives and goals of the organization or if you have a few people who have been in the organization for a very long time have the uh, organizational know-how and the performance and you're dependent on those people you create a lot of vulnerability surfaces in your organization. And the most critical thing for any organization and culture is for those human capital, as well as the departments to understand where they sit in the overall picture or the puzzle, how their action or inaction can create downstream impact within the organization and outside the organization in terms of the external stakeholders, whether those be taxpayers in this case, or customers in a private setting. So how does uh, human capital management, or HR as a business partner, continuously analyze and help the organization connect its culture to its strategy? How can we look at it not as a checklist exercise, do you have the processes, do you have the policies, et cetera, but rather look at the holistic picture of, can we uncover the patterns of systemic behavior in the organization that are seen as normal? It might be positive or negative. What kind of systems the organization has for setting and maintaining the standards for quality or for finance? You mentioned reward or promotion systems or performance systems. What do you consider as success in the organization? And who do the employees or humans working in the organization follow as role models? If they come across a question themselves... What do they take as the organization's principles and values as a way of carving out their own responses to that structure? And how do you move that organization's culture forward through recruitment, training and engagement so that you can help the organization's resiliency and sustainability?
1: Merv, thank you for sharing your knowledge on these topics. And thank you, Mambo, for your insights and for accepting our invitation. We will continue this conversation in our next episode. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. I hope this discussion brought insight into the human capital aspect of institutional risk. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll dig into more on institutional risk and HR as a business partner. To stay up to date with Tadad, follow us on LinkedIn and subscribe to our podcast hosted on SoundCloud, Podbean, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our YouTube channel is now featuring Tadad Soundbites, where experts answer questions from our Tadad live events. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel and share with a friend. Again, this is Vanessa Santana and it's been an honor to be your host. The Tadar podcast is available free of charge. The views expressed in the Tadar podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent those of the International Monetary Fund or the IMF policy. Materials from the podcast may be reproduced with proper attribution. Comments may be emailed to podcast at Tadar.org. Tadar is a collaborative undertaking of the following partners. France, Germany, the International Monetary Fund, Japan, the Netherlands, Norway, Switzerland, the United Kingdom and the World Bank.